0: What a beautiful song to lead us into a time of uh, the message right now. Uh, children are dismissed to junior church at this time. And, you know, do you think of these are just amazing songs to sing back to back our living hope and the power of the cross, the power of the cross. We stand forgiven at the cross. Did you hear it, it saying uh, we sang the the curtain is torn in two? The curtain, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn in two. There's a long paper written, and it's uh, called Something Awry in the Temple. Something Awry in the Temple. And it's written about all of these extra biblical evidence. And in other words, they're not all from the Bible. They're from Jewish writings of the first centuries and other sources, about all the strange occurrences that happened between about 30 A.D. and 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. And it started with, you know, the earthquake and the darkness and the curtain torn in two. And, but it went on and on and on because God had left the Holy of Holies. He, that wasn't the way anymore. And when the curtain was torn in two, know what God was saying? We have direct access to God through the cross. We have, if you're a Christian... If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're committed to make him Lord of your life, we have direct access to God through the cross. What amazing worship songs to sing. And I wanna say something I said a couple weeks ago. If you're not singing with gusto to the Lord, you're missing out. Remember at my last church and the church I served as associate in Cincinnati, I would hear things about, But well, we don't know the notes to sing if they're newer songs. And by the way, these two hymns we just sung, they're, they're just like a hymn in structure. You know, they're just, they are a hymn. <laughs> in musical terminology, they'd be a hymn. But we don't know the notes. Do you realize how affluent and entitled that sounds? you think throughout most of church history, they could always have hymnals printed and published in every pew? you think in the first century, they were standing around at the church of Corinth, which usually they were standing by the way, or sitting on the floor, which I'm glad it's not that because I don't like sitting on the floor. I'm not very flexible. I've had to go to physical therapy before and they're like, how are you running? You're not flexible. I'm not flexible. I don't like sitting on the floor. But they would have been sitting on the floor or standing around singing praises to God. And they didn't have their own hymnals. They just sung with gusto to the Lord. They were happy to sing and worship the Lord. And I pray that we are too. I pray that we are too. Uh, I did not get to share, but we are going to have, you know, VBS starts two weeks from tomorrow. And so... Uh, we are gonna have some work days and they're in the newsletter, which you can pick up in the back. Hopefully you've received it by email. On the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, we're gonna have some work days. On the 17th, we're having an evening where we want all the help we can get to set up VBS. On the 18th and the 17th, that's Monday, the 17th in the evening. The 19th, we're having an evening for setting up for VBS as well. For those that work during the day or that just don't like coming in the morning, it's an evening to set up for Vacation Bible School. We need all the help we could get. And the 18th, 19th, and 20, 20th, from 9 to noon is VBS work set up. And in the week of the 24th through the 28th is Vacation Bible School. Please be in prayer for that. We're gonna be going to Philippians chapter one here in a moment. Philippians chapter one here for a mo- in, in just a moment. You know, in, in Philippians one, the Apostle Paul, is writing, and he's writing from prison. One of the people I just absolutely love to read is Johnny Eric Santata. You've heard me reference her. I just referenced her in Sunday school. Her testimony of staying close to the Lord, serving the Lord, despite all the circumstances she's gone through as a quadriplegic in a diving accident at a Christian camp, by the way. It happened at Young Life some 55 years ago, going through cancer twice, painting, painting uh, with her mouth. She's painted marvelous paintings with her mouth, composing and, and singing music. In fact, there was a great movie, Christian movie made a few years ago called Alone But Not Alone. It's I said Christian. It's actually based on something that happened during the Revolutionary War time period. Two girls kidnapped by Indians in the Ohio River area, and she actually sung the song for that. For that, you know, and she just keeps on persisting with her ministry. Johnny and friends, and Johnny and friends gets wheelchairs all over the world, and they help people with special needs like autism and things like that, as well as people with, you know. Uh, who are paralyzed or quadriplegic or with MS. She has a special private Facebook group for people who go through uh, a lot of pain where they can communicate with one another. Johnny Eric, Tata, and you can subscribe to her daily podcast or here on Moody Radio or her daily devotional. And this, what I'm about to read, comes from her daily devotional. She says, I'm not like Paul. She says, I'm not in prison. Far from it. But I can identify with the bolts and bars of a prison cell. This wheelchair is made of a lot of metal. And in a way, it's confining. I suppose that's why so many prisoners write me. My testimony has encouraged them. And they look at my bolts and bars and understand. Even though I know nothing of the kind of imprisonment the apostle Paul went through, I do know I like his attitude. In the scripture for today, he basically says, Okay, so I'm in chains. My bolts and bars help me spread the good news. Every time they chain me to another guard, he gets an earful of the gospel. And my imprisonment helps others to to become bold. That's what it's like the Apostle Paul is saying. In my imprisonment, it helps others to be bold. Johnny Erickson says, Johnny Erickson taught I've read letters from prisoners who who say the same thing. Letters from prisoners who say the same thing. Okay, so I'm behind bars. It's a chance for me to draw closer to Christ. I can say the same thing, Johnny says. Okay, so I'm in a wheelchair. These bolts and bars give me a chance to spread the good news to anyone who experiences confinement and limitations. Johnny says, what are your chains? Maybe you feel manacled to the kitchen sink. Maybe you feel chained to your desk with just enough slack to reach the restroom and coffee maker. Maybe you feel imprisoned in a difficult marriage. Goodness. We all can name the bolts and bars that confine us. Look at today's verse. Has what happened to you, and we're going to look at Philippians 1, 12 through 18, where the apostle Paul just says this. And she says, has what happened to you served to advance Christ's gospel? No matter what place we're in, is it used to advance Christ's gospel? As I was reading this, I was thinking of a speaker we had for the yearly meeting, not yearly meeting, it was um, yearly meetings next weekend. Evangelical Friends, our denomination's yearly meetings next weekend, so please keep that in prayer. But sometimes we have these one-day pastors' conferences, they're seminars, they're continuing education. And last fall we had one by a writer i could get you his name and he's a pastor and he's a professor and he was and i heard his testimony before and i got his book the day before and i went through it very fast it's called holy sexuality holy sexuality this man was in dental school and got addicted to drugs and he was so addicted to drugs he got kicked out of dental school and then he ends up addicted to drugs selling drugs and living a homosexual lifestyle during that time his mom and dad were saved. They were not saved before, but they got saved during that time. His mom got on her knees and she kept praying and praying and praying and praying for her son, her son to repent. She prayed, "Lord, whatever it takes, make my son repent." And the Lord used whatever it takes. During that time, she did even a 38 or 39 day fast for her son to repent. I wonder how much does it matter for when your kids are not living the Christian life. They may not be living in the homosexual lifestyle when they may not be following Christ. They may, not be, they may be living in sin and, and, and any type of sin can keep us from Christ. This woman prayed and prayed, even fasted something like 38 days. She got hundreds of people to pray for her son and whatever it takes meant um, a few uh, federal marshals with guard dogs like German shepherds uh, coming to his door to arrest him. He's thrown in jail. While he is thrown in jail, guess what happens? He finds a Bible, I believe from the Gideons. He reads the Bible. He repents and turns his life to Christ. He goes to the prison chaplain and says, I have these temptations for same-sex attraction. The chaplain, being of a very... I'll just say liberal persuasion, said, oh, that's okay. You can do whatever you want. That's okay. And this man thought, that's not squaring with the Bible. So he followed the Bible. And he started taking courses while in prison, while in prison, taking courses. Eventually, his sentence was um, commuted early, and he got released from prison in the summer and entered Moody Bible Institute in the fall. So when they said, what did you do over the summer? he was in jail and he committed to Christ and became a pastor, but God worked even in his prisonment first to get him saved, first to get him to his knees, first to get him to repent. And then it sounds like with other ways to help him to grow in Christ. Sometimes, many times, I dare say all the time, God uses our hardships, our difficulties to make us depend upon him, to get us to our knees, right? That guy, that young man I just told you about, he was not on his knees serving the Lord. He was living his own life of pleasure, addicted to drugs, living the homosexual lifestyle, and his mom prayed whatever it takes. And what happened? He got arrested. That's what it took. And we see with the Apostle Paul, he was serving the Lord. He was already serving the Lord. He was already proclaiming the gospel. But he's in prison for the gospel. And my theme today is we look at Philippians 1, 12 and following. The gospel advances and for that Paul rejoices. Paul is in prison, but the gospel advances and for that Paul rejoices. So let's look at verses 12 through 14 and see the gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot be stopped. Look at these verses. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Some translations say praetorian guard. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's in prison. And he's saying, the gospel is spread. The gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial or praetorian guard. And so he's rejoicing. And then he also says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, others have become more confident in the Lord by the Apostle Paul's imprisonment. So, Paul's been praying for them, and now he's moving on from the prayer. To put this in context, uh, last week, no, the week before last, two weeks ago, we talked about Paul praying for the Philippians. Paul praying his heart for the Philippians. He's in prison, and he's not saying, woe is me. He's praying for the Philippians. And now he comes and says, don't worry about me. Don't feel bad for me. Don't pity me. No. No. What has happened has happened to advance the gospel. One source shares this verse, verse 12, is a topic sentence for all that follows through verse 26. Verse 12 is a topic sentence through verse 26. Whenever Paul wrote, I want you to know, he introduced something new. He's introducing something new. I want you to know what has happened to me has been for the advancement of the gospel. Do we think of things that happen to us and think, okay, how can this advance the gospel? How can this help me to grow closer to Christ? About four weeks ago, I finished Timothy Keller's book um, about pain and suffering. Great book. I highly commend to you. In the first few chapters, he outlines the different worldviews of suffering. Every Every other culture had a worldview of suffering, had a way to reconcile. Americans don't. It's just avoided at all costs. Christians do. God redeems it. Our suffering is never wasted. God redeems it. He redeems it in the new heavens and new earth. He redeems it that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, came down, took on human flesh, lived a fully human life, willingly went through suffering, willingly went through temptation, willingly was submissive to to the pain and sufferings of this world and went to the cross and suffered for us. God also redeems our suffering even now because he uses it. He uses it to build us up. He uses it to build others up. He uses it to grow us in him, to make us depend upon him. If we have everything we want, if we're totally entitled as most Americans are, if we have everything we want and everything we need and we're so wealthy, which by the way, Americans are, even the poorest are compared to others in the world, oftentimes it leads us away from God, not towards God. I told my brother a few years ago, I said, you know, oftentimes our prayers contradict, don't they? We pray for a good day, an easy day, but we also pray to grow spiritually, right? God might know, God does know, correction, God does know for us to grow spiritually, we need that hardship. For us to grow spiritually, we need that flat tire. For us to grow spiritually, we need need to depend upon him. And the flat tire is a trivial example, really. There's much, much, much more that people go through. And God knows they need that. They need that. God knows they live in a fallen world. They're not gonna depend upon me. If I give them everything they want, if I give them everything they need, if they have everything they want and easy living, they're not gonna depend upon God. They're gonna stray from him. So we have to pray, thy will be done. Notice that Paul calls them brothers. Looking back at this text, he calls them brothers. I want you to know brothers. Now that could also be translated brothers and sisters. It's okay to apply that to brothers and sisters, but he's using family language. The apostle Paul loves them. He cares about them. He has a relationship with them. And he's saying, don't worry about what I've gone through because it has advanced the gospel. You know what? The apostle Paul has been shipwrecked. See Acts 27 and 28. He's been bitten by a viper in Acts 28, and God took care of him and God healed him. He's been beaten with rods a number of times. Oftentimes, we say that it was 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes minus one was a Jewish principle, a Jewish statute. It was not a Gentile, non Jewish statute. Paul probably had way more than 40 lashes in his beatings. Paul had been stoned and left for dead. You read 2 Corinthians 11 and all that he has faced for the gospel. And he says, don't worry about me. It's been used to advance the gospel. How are we doing with this? Do we care most about the advance of the gospel? In verse 13, he talked about witnessing to the whole praetorian guard. These, gu- these guards switched shifts Every three to four hours. Every three to four hours, Paul had new guards to talk about Jesus with. The ESV study Bible says the Latin word praetorium, again, in the ESV it said imperial. Praetorian or imperial guard could refer to a governor's residence and by extension, those living in the residence. Those who believe that Paul wrote from Caesarea, would understand the word in this sense here. However, the word could also refer to the special guard for the emperor in Rome. And I think that's more likely. This was a special guard for the emperor in Rome as the translation imperial guard suggests. This group of guards were like the Navy SEALs of their day. He is guarded by like the Navy SEALs of their day. One source says no army was allowed in Italy. Rome was in Italy, in case you didn't know. No army was allowed in Italy. Uh, but the Praetorian Guard, this imperial guard, consisted of about thirteen to 14,000 free Italian soldiers. These were thirteen to 14,000 free, free Italian soldiers. They were the emperor's elite bodyguard under the Praetorian prefect, viewed as clients of the emperor, they were kept loyal with the highest pay in the Roman military. They were also kept loyal by the leadership of a prefect who could never legally become emperor, being a knight rather than a senator. And those are the guards, those are the people who are guarding the apostle Paul. Those are the people who are switching shifts every 3 to 4 hours. In Philippians 4:22. So we're in Philippians 1. If you go to Philippians chapter 4 verse 22, Paul says that all the brethren greet you especially those in Caesar's household. How would they know? He talked about them. Paul was talking to those of Caesar's household and those of the the imperial guard. He was talking to them about the church at Philippi. And so he sends greetings. So two groups of people heard of his imprisonment. The guard, the imperial slash praetorian guard and everyone else. One source shares, this is really neat. The soldier to whom Paul was chained day to day might have been in Nero's bodyguard yesterday. His comrade, who next relieved, uh, the, the comrade next relieved, uh, who next became his guard, might have been one of the executioners of Octavio of Octavia, which was Nero's wife, and might have carried her head to Pompeia, Nero's mistress, a few weeks before. That's how diverse, you know, this guard was. Let me repeat that because I kind of mispronounced some things. The soldier to whom he was chained might've been Nero's bodyguard one day. The next day, it might've been the one of the executioners of Octavia, which was Nero's wife. It might've been the one who carried her head to Pompeia, Nero's mistress a few weeks before. Those are the people guarding the apostle Paul. And the apostle Paul says, don't worry about me. I've been able to witness to them. I've been able to share the gospel. I've been able to make the best of this circumstance. Look at verse 14. He says, most of the brothers are more confident about the Lord. But why? Because of his imprisonment. Because of Paul's imprisonment, they are more bold to speak. Because of his imprisonment, they can say, if if Paul can still talk about the gospel, if Paul can still stay loyal to Christ and all this, so can I. So it became a testimony. The word would be the gospel. They are more confident of the word. Are we confident in the Lord? Are we confident in the Lord even in difficult times? As you go through difficult times, are you maintaining your confidence in the Lord? As we go through difficult times, are we maintaining our confidence in the Lord? Are we cursing God? Are we straying from God? Are we running to the Lord, which is what he wants, or from the Lord? I've said this before and I'll say it again. Every night I pray with my children before they go to bed and then Megan and I pray as well and we oftentimes pray against sickness and illness. But more recently I've been more and more convicted to pray against sin. Sin is, and, and even sins of pride, and even sins of envy and jealousy, maybe especially those, even sins of gossip and slander, even sins of grumbling and complaining. Those are sins, by the way. That grumbling and complaining kept the Israelites in the wilderness for forty years. You can look it up later. Even those sins, especially those sins, they are more deadly and dangerous than everything else we face. Sin keeps us from God. So, are we confident in the Lord? that even in those difficult times, we run to God. We don't run away from God. We run to God. The reason I bring up prayer is because we pray against sickness and illness, but I also have to recognize oftentimes God's gonna allow that and even cause it to draw us close to him. We live in a fallen world. Things we're gonna face, they're gonna happen. They're just gonna happen. And we can run to God or away from God. In this, the apostle Paul is in prison and he's running to God. May we do the same. Look at verses 15 through 18a. Paul rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, two groups. Some are preaching Christ for envy. Others are preaching Christ out of love. And guess what? Paul is saying, no matter Christ is proclaimed. I rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Even if they're preaching Christ out of envy, I'm going to rejoice because Christ is proclaimed. Now, I want to I want to give a special a special note here. He's not talking about heretics here. He's just talking about selfish motivation. In the book of Galatians, Paul confronted heretics. If if they're preaching Christ and they're preaching heresy, in other words, teaching that is contrary to the scriptures, He would confront that. He's just talking about envy here. And so he's saying, I rejoice. Christ is proclaimed. I rejoice. Now, it could be that they are competing. In First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and following, we have people competing. They're selfish. They're saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. They're divided. It could be that. We don't really know what their selfish ambition was. What we do know is Paul is rejoicing nonetheless. He is rejoicing. Even if the motives are wrong, Christ is proclaimed, and that is what matters. Whether in pretense, which means false motives, whether hypocrites, or whether pure motives, Christ is preached. And Paul rejoices. And this verse goes into the next section, which we will continue next week. Can we see the good in things? When we're in hard times, can we be positive and say, uh, God's at work. God has not left his throne. God is at work. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying they're preaching out of selfishness, but at least Christ is preached. He is seeing the good. He's being positive. He's being optimistic. God is at work. Some of you have amazing gifts of being optimistic. I love that. Some of us might deal with the other side. Now, we have to be realistic. I'm not diminishing that. But try to see the good in things. That's what Paul's doing. He's seeing the good. He's saying, Christ is proclaimed. I'm rejoicing. Christ is proclaimed. He's seeing the good. He's seeing the glass is half full, not half empty. Let's look at some applications. And I've already made some. Do we use what happens to us To advance the gospel. The car trouble, the hospital time, whatever else may be God's providence to advance the gospel. Paul is in jail. Things are not as coincidental as oftentimes we think, and I have an illustration from my own life that doesn't necessarily apply to Certainly going to jail. I've been to jail a few times, but not as a prisoner. I visited people. I used to leave the office and say, I'm going to jail, I'll be back in a bit. Um, going to the hospital. If you're in British England, I know that from BBC, they say going to hospital, not the hospital, but going to hospital I'll be back, going to jail. I've been there, but I've never been in there. But I do have an example of just God's providence. God working out details. God, set, God setting up certain circumstances for his will and his purposes. Um, they're not as coincidental as we think. Can we see everything everything that happens for the advance of the gospel? It was 2013. It was about two weeks before Abigail, my youngest, was born. Uh, our seniors group at our church was going to a Christmas tree exhibit at Akron, in Akron, a Christmas tree exhibit. And I was going along. After that, I had to visit someone in the hospital. I had the privilege of visiting someone in the hospital. I had my schedule worked out in my head. And, And God had his schedule for me and I had my schedule for me. And God made mine align with his, which is the way we want it to work. So I had my schedule, my type A schedule in my head. In the morning, we were going to the Christmas tree thing where they had all these beautiful Christmas trees. After that, We are going to Hart Hill Kitchen. If you haven't been there, you should go, check it out, it's great. And then we were, and our whole group was going, it was about 12 or 14 of us. And after that, I was going to go to Alliance Community Hospital to visit someone. Well, my timing as always did not work out that well. And so uh, everything got behind. And as I'm leaving the person I was going to visit, I go down the steps. I usually try to take the stairs at hospitals if I could find them, just so I can be out of breath when I get up there to their room. As I was leaving their room, I run into the hospital chaplain. I knew the hospital chaplain from certain groups and I knew he was going through certain things. So I asked him about them and we prayed together. Now, had I been on my schedule, I would not have run into the hospital chaplain. Had I been on my schedule, I would not have seen him and been able to pray for him and pray with him. So I praise God that in what others would say a coincidence, I don't see as coincidence, that God got me on his schedule and that was used for the gospel. That was used for the gospel. So are we willing to see everything that happens to us for the advance of the gospel? Another illustration, I was, and you might've heard this one. It was about, Abigail was just born. It was about three days before uh, Christmas. So Mercedes is going on two and a half. Abigail's just weeks old and we're in the house and it's cold and snowy. That was 2013 and 14, it was a really bad winter. And we thought, well, let's get out. Let's go to Walmart. Let me tell you, you do not want to go to Walmart two days before Christmas. So we went to Lowe's. While we were at Lowe's, I run into an Assemblies of God pastor I know. While we are talking, he runs into somebody from his church going through a lot of back issues and back pain. And we were able to join together and pray for him. It was a time to pray together. God didn't want us at Walmart. God wanted us at Lowe's. And God worked that out, orchestrating that for the gospel. Are we willing to speak the word of God without fear? That's another application question. And do we pray about this? The Apostle Paul is in prison before this imperial guard, praetorian guard. He's in prison before the navy seals of his day, and he's speaking the word of God without fear. And and I guarantee in his day and age to be in prison, from what I've read about their prisons, which were dungeon-like prisons, I guarantee that they did not worry about prisoner abuse. He could preach the word of God and they could say, shut up and some expletive and hit him across the face. But he preached the word of God without fear. He was not, thank you, Gary. Gary's right behind you, Don. Um, he preached the word of God and Rich come and to help too, thanks. He preached the word of God without fear, even in front of all those guards. Are we able to do the same? Another question of application. Do we care more about what others think or what God thinks? Do we care more about what others think or what God thinks? Do we seek to build up or tear down? What is Paul doing here? He's building up. Don't worry about me. This is for the advance of the gospel. He's building up. Do our actions during difficult times encourage others to be bolder in their faith? The apostle Paul right now, guess what? His actions are encouraging others to be bold in their faith. Can we stop being envious of others? In verses 15 and 17, we see people are preaching the gospel out of envy. Can we just be happy to serve and proclaim the gospel? Can we pray about this? I encourage you, pray about that. Pray also, what I just mentioned a moment ago, pray that when there's hard times, that we still proclaim the gospel. We still live for Jesus. We don't cower in fear. Pray that we can be happy for others. If another person achieves success that we don't achieve, praise God, don't be envious. Pray about that in advance. Can we pray that God helps our motives to be pure and teaches us humility, that God teaches us humility? Can we proclaim Christ out of love? We love others and we want them to know Jesus. Jesus is the hope of the world, amen? Jesus is our hope. Amen? Amen. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a scene where Mel Gibson playing William Wallace is on a horse rallying the troops before a big battle. The battle is historical. I don't know that the speech was. Uh, I do know... Never mind, we'll move on. Uh, I do know when he was making The Patriot, Mel Gibson, all the actors, all the extras were very worn down in the high heat in those, in those uniforms and outfits. And Mel Gibson got on a horse and did the same speech to help ex- motivate them. Uh, it's totally from memory. But, anyways, he's given this speech before the troops. And they're talking, the troops are saying, Yeah, we're the army. And he says, If this is the army, If this is Scotland's army, why do do they flee? Why do they flee? And I wonder if God could say the same to us so many times. If we belong to him, and we claim to be Christians, which means little Christ, little Christ, imitators of Christ, and we claim to be disciples... Why do we flee in a metaphorical way? I don't mean stay in the pews all week. No, I mean our witness, our behavior, our prayer life, our time in the word. Why do we flee from day to day? If we're Jesus's, if we belong to Jesus, like, like William Wallace said, if this is your army, why does he flee? If, if, if we belong to Jesus, why do we act like our hope is not in him? Why do we complain over trivial things rather than be excited that Christ is proclaimed and Christ is preached? And this applies to all of us. We go through trials. We go through hard times. We go through tribulations. We go through difficulty. Romans 5 addresses that, by the way. And so I have up here coffee because it makes the world go round. If it weren't for coffee, we would not have had the, uh, the Reformation. And... Uh, I'm just kidding. The Holy Spirit used coffee for the Reformation. I have carrots. I have eggs. And I have made coffee because it makes the world go round, right? And I do not have. I should have had hot water, but I didn't ask for it, so I didn't get it. It's okay. Uh, But hot water could represent trials and tribulations, right? And what happens when we put a carrot in boiling hot water? Right. If you take a hard carrot, which would be like this one that I'm holding right now in in hard and hot boiling water, what happens? It's no longer hot. I mean, it's no longer hard. It is now soft. Like I can push my finger through the carrot because that's what the hot water, the boiling water does to the carrot. And then I have eggs. Right. And if you put an egg in hot boiling water. It has the opposite effect of the carrot, doesn't it? While the egg is fragile and will break if dropped, the hard-boiled egg does not break if dropped. I'm not going to drop it because there's another one in here, but it's, it's a hard-boiled egg, right? And then, of course, I have coffee beans. When we, when we boil coffee beans, the beans not only change the color of the water, They change the color, most of you can see it, right? But they also spread the fragrance of the coffee all around, right? If you like coffee, and some of you, maybe even if you don't like coffee, you smell the fragrance and it might smell good. I love the smell of coffee beans. And when you boil it, it changes the fragrance And it also changes the color of the water. So boiling water symbolizes problems and trials in life. The apostle Paul is in prison for the gospel. The boiling water symbolizes problems and trials in life. The carrots, eggs, and coffee beans symbolize our different reactions to these problems or pressures, right? These are different reactions. The soft carrots represent people who grumble, complain, and pity themselves when faced with problems. Grumble, complain, and pity themselves. The hardened eggs represent those who become stubborn, rebellious, and angry at God during tribulation, right? The egg becomes hard. That represents those who become stubborn, rebellious, angry at God. But the coffee beans represent people who obey and trust God, right? Obey and trust God, changing the atmosphere around them while spreading the fragrance of Christ. So I encourage you. And myself. Let's be like coffee beans. When hot water, hard times come upon us, let's be like the coffee beans. Let's spread the aroma of Christ all around us. Let's spread the aroma of Christ all around us. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Paul is saying, What's happened to me has advanced the gospel, and it's even made others more bold in their faith. He's like coffee beans, he's spreading the aroma of Christ all around him. And I pray and urge all of us, let's do the same. God offers each of us faith that is greater than any problems we may face. It doesn't matter how big or small the problem is, but what is important is how we react to the problem. Can we react like coffee beans? Spread the aroma of Christ all around us. And I would encourage you to pray about that now, whether you're going through a difficult time or not. Pray about it now. Pray in advance. Lord, when we face problems, not if, when we face hardship, help me to be like a coffee bean in hot water to spread the fragrance all around. Our faith determines how we, will, how we will respond or meet the challenges of daily life. As a carrot, a hard-boiled egg, or a coffee bean, God wants us to use. God wants to use us like coffee beans when we face difficulties. Paul is in prison And he rejoices for the spread of the gospel. Let that be an example for you and me and us. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I do pray that that's true in us. I pray, Lord God, that we can rejoice for the advance of the gospel. I pray, Lord God, that we can see the good, be positive, be optimistic, be loving, be like Paul was right here. I pray, Lord God, that no matter what, we keep on sharing the gospel. We keep on caring to advance the gospel and we see the good in other people. First Corinthians 13, love believes all things. We give each other the benefit of the doubt and we see the good in what you're doing. Lord God, I know we cannot do that on our own. We can only do that through the Holy Spirit who is within us. So I pray, Lord God, for a special anointing of the Holy Spirit in all of us today. We are all going through different different trials and tribulations. Some of us may not really be going through a trial or tribulation now, but we will, we all will. And I pray, Lord God, that you will build us up. We know Romans five talks about that. We also know second Timothy chapter three, verse 12 says, all who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Lord God, I pray that we want to live godly for you. We want to live godly for you and that you will embolden our faith. Lord God, for those here right now going through those difficult times, I pray for a special anointing. Encourage them, support them, help them, strengthen them. For those here right now who have strayed from you, may today be the day to turn back to you and recommit their life to you. Lord, give us a burden for the lost and help us to be a witness. In Jesus' name, amen.